if you're ready to contemplate your organization transitioning to self-management, um, you'll face a fundamental choice, which is, do you evolve and develop your own particular method of doing self-management that fits your organization? Or do you adopt a ready-made system? Right? Um, there are ready-made systems out there. Uh, sociocracy, holacracy, you know, are quite famous. Um, there are also sort of smaller systems that um, are known in certain areas, like in, in the Basque country, I spent some time with a wonderful group of, of people and organizations called NER, a Nuevo Estilo Relacional, and they have their own um, sort of, you know, set of structures and tools with which they do self-management. There's like 60 organizations out there that function with, with that particular method. And, you know, every year there's a few more that adopt this sort of ready-made system. Here's how I think about this choice. I think it's fundamentally a choice of speed versus resistance, right? So when you adopt a ready-made system, you can adopt it much faster than if you evolve it in-house, but chances are resistance to it will be much higher too, right? Um, maybe you remember I, I, I shot a previous video about um, you know, the polarity of experimentation and standardization. Well, when you adopt a ready-made system, you basically skip all sorts of experimentation, right? That allows people to get used to it and, um, right? And you go straight for, this is it, right? Um, and, and so the key question for me is how ready is the organization? I have a sense that if the organization is really ready for self-management um, or as ready as it, you know, it can be, then adopting ready-made systems can indeed give you a lot of speed, right? And make this transition much faster. Um, but if you aren't ready, um, you know, then, you know, resistance will be high. And so I, I've seen, for instance, some uh, groups of coaches, you know, who had already done quite a bit of, you know, joint development work and they were really ready. And so they adopted holacracy and it, they loved it. I mean, it was... It was wonderful, right? Or in the case of these organizations in the Basque country with NER, right? Most of these organizations that adopt NER are facing bankruptcy. I mean, they're in crisis. They know that they can't continue the way they do. And um, NER has a beautiful system where they have, um, where they will have people in these organizations um, stop production for a day, go and see another organization that has already adopted this years ago for all the employees and workers to talk with them and you know see what it is and then when they, they come back and they take a vote to say will we do we want to go towards this net self-management system yes or no and only if the vote is like in the 80 90 percent you know overwhelming majority do they do it and so they have a strong mandate so there there is a, a real form of readiness now if the readiness isn't high um, then I think you can expect a lot of resistance, right? Um, I mean, I, I would resist too, right? If, you know, I just want to do my work and suddenly somebody from the top imposes this whole new thing where I have to learn all of these new processes and, you know, these circles and these new meeting formats. And, you know, I, I would resist this, right? I say, like, I want to do my job. Why, why are you imposing this on me, right? Um, and because I haven't chosen this or I haven't participated in elaborating this, it, it feels just like one more imposition from the top, and it feels like just the latest craze, the latest fad, right? That, oh, you know, 
I don't know, this guy at the top found you know, his latest guru or his latest method, and now we, we all have to pay the price for it, right? Um, and, and another risk that happens then is that people just go through the motions. Okay, and then we'll just do the tool, but don't un actually understand the deeper purpose, you know, and, and how that's serving, how, you know, how that's serving the, the purpose of the organizations. Um, and so, so this is the real question I have for you, is how ready is your organization? And I've presented this as sort of a binary choice, right? Like either you develop in-house or you take a ready-made system. Now, in practice, I hear that there's more and more cases where people go from one to the other, right? So people start evolving things in-house, and at some point people feel they're ready enough and then they say, yeah, but you know, we're still missing pieces and it's going, let's take something like sociocracy or holacracy. Or the other way around, like people adopt holacracy and it's really helping them for a while. And then they feel like, yeah, but this is not completely us. And then they keep what they like, but evolve and sort of evolve away from, from holacracy. Um, so that's perfectly, perfectly possible too. So readiness is one big criteria. I think there's another one. And that is simply your own sort of in-house appetite or um, capacity for developing your own system. So I know that in some organizations, there are leaders or some people who really feel strongly about learning about this and they will read all sorts of books, my book and other books, and, and they really have an appetite for um, you know, changing these systems. Um, and some other organizations, people feel, leaders feel strongly they want to do self-management, but that's not their passion. Like they, you know, just out of their own integrity, out of their own principles, they want to operate in a self-managing fashion, but really their focus is on the purpose and things out there. And they're not the kind of guys who, the people who will think deeply about, yeah, how should we get organized and what's not a decision-making mechanism. And, they've, and in some, especially smaller organizations, you might not have anybody who feels strongly about that. And in that case, it can make a lot of sense to take a ready-made system and to take somebody from the outside, um, you know, a, a coach, a facilitator, a consultant that helps you bring that into your organizations, right? That's, for example, the case in these Basque country, you know, companies. Um, they're facing bankruptcy and there's an owner who contacts Nair and says, like, you know, I, I, I've seen what you do. I, I understand that self-management can be the way out for me, but frankly, I have no idea about where to start. I just want you to help me adopt your system. Right? And, and that can make a lot of sense. So really the two questions for me are, you know, what is your readiness? And do you have you know, sort of in-house a number of people that you know, could lead this effort or is it easier to take it from the outside? Right? And as always, I would look and check for your own biases, right? So, on, you know, I, I know that my bias, because I like to think in these things, is that I would always want to develop something in-house. Um, but in, that doesn't necessarily make sense. Maybe my organization is ready, and maybe even though I like to spend time on this, my time would be better spent on something else, and let's just bring in this knowledge from, from the outside, right? Um, and maybe, you have to be careful about the opposite. Maybe you have a bias for speed. Come on, come on, let's just take something. But your organization isn't ready. And so 
maybe you should actually start by doing something in-house and maybe later on um, you know, adopt a ready-made system. Or maybe you don't have these skills and the patience to think through these things through, but maybe there's some other people in the organization who could play that role. So I would really urge you as always to look at your own personal biases so that you make the best decision for what the organization needs and not just you know, what your preference would be. Now let me dive a little bit deeper into um, sociocracy and holacracy, uh, which are sort of the two, I think, more, more famous um, models. Um, now sociocracy, it's difficult for me to talk too long about it because sociocracy comes in, in all sorts of various flavors, right? Um, from what I understand, some trainers look at it pretty much as a sort of a ready-made system, a little bit like holacracy, right? You have these various circles and then you have the, 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 the two kinds of links and, um, and, and they would sort of deploy that as, an, you know, as sort of an implementation. Um, others, you know, sort of, for instance, I think sociocracy 3.0 from with, you know, James Priest um, talks much more about sort of the patterns that exist in, in sociocracy. And then you can sort of, you know, pick and choose and adapt them, you know, and, uh, and adopt them, you know, as, as you need, um, as your journey unfolds. So um, I would then really talk with the trainer um, that you work with that helps you adopt um, sociocracy to understand what their own preferences and own biases are and how they, um, you know, will push you to adopt sociocracy. Now, um, holacracy is, is, a, is a different kind of animal because holacracy, you know, is, is, is protected, it's, it's copyrighted. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really one system. And it's an interesting, fascinating system. It's, it's hugely polarizing. For some reason, uh, you know, people either seem to love holacracy or they seem to hate it. <laughs> um, I don't feel, you don't see that there's many people um, somewhere in the middle. Um, and and I, my understanding, I haven't researched this in depth at all, but my understanding is that people who tend to hate it are people who've adopted it without really taking the time at first to understand what it is and to understand whether that was really for them. Um, whereas those people who love it, I think, understood quite well what they were getting, what they were getting into. Um, and so here's some of the things I think um, I would want you to consider um, when you ask yourself the question, hey, could holacracy be something for me? Um, now, the first thing is that, as with any ready-made system, right, um, holacracy, you know, is a ready-made system that at some point you will be imposing onto the organization, right, in sort of a top-down way. Now, once holacracy is in place, the framework allows for immense flexibility. So once it's in place, you know, it evolves and evolves and evolves and people can make it their own. But there is no denying the fact that holacracy in some way is something that you impose onto people and that in that way often creates resistance. And again, you can minimize that by having maybe, you know, one area piloted and then other people see that people like it in there and then so they, then they want to adopt it. You could have a vote like they do in the Basque country. There's ways you could try to increase the, the willingness of adoption, but the reality is, you know, it's still sort of this last paradoxical act of authority where as a leader you say, hey, I've signed a constitution 
of holacracy, and now you know everybody plays it up this. Um, something else to know is that holacracy, I think, is a like any system. Um, it's very much a reflection of its founder, right? And um, Brian Robertson, the founder of holacracy, I think, is somebody who really loves clarity, right? And so holacracy is this extraordinary sort of clockwork, this extraordinary um, system where uh, everything is clarified, right? The goal is that there's no ambiguity about anything. You know, people know exactly, you know, what the roles and accountabilities are and, you know, how these decisions get made and the domains and the policies. I mean, there's just an immense amount of clarity in holacracy. Um, and if that's your own bias, and if that's sort of the culture of your organization, then holacracy can be wonderful. Um, it also means, though, that holacracy um, comes with this huge learning curve, right? Because there's all of these parts that you need to learn, right? And you know, we no longer talk about a team, but a circle. And, and you know, there's a domain, but the domain for the circle or the domain for a role. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just incredibly complex. And so there's this huge learning curve. Um, and, and that means that, you know, some organizations will find it much easier to adapt it than others. Um, those that have a culture for clarity um, or that can really need that. So, for instance, I was thinking like Birzorg, the nurses in the Netherlands. Like, I think they should never adopt holacracy, right? They don't need it. Their business isn't that complex to need all of these bells and whistles. And frankly, I think the culture of the nurses would really, you know, reject it. On the other hand, say that you have an, an IT organization, right? Where people are already, you know, used through Agile and Scrums that people have different roles and that, you know, stuff needs to be documented. They might, you know, that might fit their culture really well. Um, so I, I urge you to think about that from, from your own perspectives. Um, Another thing I think to know is that because there's this huge learning curve, um, I hear from a lot of organizations that adopt holacracy that there is a real phase where people are internally focused, right? And to some degree that happens in any, you know, um, transition to self-management. But particularly in the case of something like holacracy where the learning curve is so high. So people take the ball of the customer for a while. Um, uh, because the the focus is so internal, you know, is so internal. At least that's that's one risk to be aware of. Of course, it doesn't happen always, but that's I think a risk to be aware of. Um, another thing to know is that holacracy provides this incredible clarity for what in holacracy is called sort of the operating system, right? So how decisions get made, how roles get assigned. Um, how sort of information flows. And there's a number of things where sort of holacracy is very clear and specifies everything. But many people who think that with holacracy they take a, a ready-made system um, often don't realize that there's also a whole domain that in holacracy is called apps, where holacracy doesn't specify anything, right? Um, and very cleverly so, right? In holacracy the idea is um, for these things, there could be plenty of ways to do them, and you need to find your own in, uh, your own way. So you install your own app, right? So Holacracy says nothing about 
um, performance management. You know, it says nothing about recruiting, right? It says nothing about how people could, you know, could get fired. It says nothing about performance management, right? It says nothing really about budgets, right? Um, so I've heard for some people who thought that they were, you know, with this ready-made system, that they would get everything sort of on a platter, and that's true for some levels, right? The operating system, but it's not true for all the apps. Just something I think that's important to know. Um, and then, and then finally, um, something that I think some people don't realize is that um, holacracy only looks at uh, what is called sort of the organization space, so the space of us um, energizing some roles that we're in. It doesn't look at all at the personal space or the interpersonal space, right? Sometimes it's called the sort of the tribal space. And what I hear from quite a few organizations that adopt holacracy is that for a whole while, they um, spend so much focus on you know, learning all of this, all of these new techniques and tools and practices um, that it comes to feel as if we completely forget sort of the warm and fuzzy part right, of just the interpersonal space. Like, and everything starts to feel sort of cold and mechanic. Um, simply, and it doesn't have to be that way, right? In holacracy, um, you know, they rightly say, hey, yeah, this is simply not holacracy, but by any means, keep doing, you know, your, your Friday afternoon, you know, drinks and do all the warm and fuzzy things. Simply that's, you know, what holacracy is about. The, the trouble is simply that some organizations in that transition forget about that, right? And so for a whole while, you know, it feels like you're losing all of sort of the warm culture that you had and it's becoming very cold and, and mechanistic. So that's another thing to be, um, uh, to be careful of. And then a last thing is that um, holacracy also doesn't look at sort of the, the inner side of things, right? Um, uh, maybe that has changed and depends on the kind of holacracy trainers, but in general, the focus was very much when you train people in using holacracy is simply, you know, adopt the meetings and try it out and see how that works. Um, but rarely um, is there a space created for um, conversations about what's happening with me. What is you know what are some of the some of the pain that I feel from no longer being a manager, um, and and so there. Typically, there isn't a space created for conversations about how do I feel at this transition, and that I, I feel is, is sorely lacking, um, and is something that you can perfectly add. But I think it's something to be aware of to make that transition easier. Right? So I hope this is these are some useful thoughts. There's way more things that I could say about um, really the beauty I see in, in this mechanic of, of holacracy and, and, and sociocracy and, and the difficulty of adopting a ready-made system. Um, and so again, I would you know, really uh, urge you to think about what is the resonance of your organization? And, um, and yeah, what is best for it now? Is it to evolve something? Is it to adopt a ready-made practice? Is it to do one and the other? Um, Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy, and insights, 
and you get to choose what feels right to give back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.